So, in the movie, it stars Tim Curry, Susan Sarandon, and Barry Boswick, along with a whole bunch of others, including, of course, Meatloaf. This was Tim Curry's first theatrical theater performance. He had done theater in his hometown and stuff like that, but nothing in movies. The other thing about this movie is, um, in this movie, it is about a young couple on their way to get married and to find their friend, actually, and they get a flat tire, and it's raining. So, they decided to go back down the road that they came from because there was a castle. And they want to ask them to use their phone and get some gas or whatever, or get a tow truck. And when they get there, their lives are turned way upside down. But I don't want to say too much or I, about the movie or I'd ruin it uh, for people that haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, you need to find it. I know it's on like Amazon Prime and stuff like that right now. Um, back when the movie came out, it was it ran its normal movie thing. One during the day, one during the so-called night. And it bombed. I mean, it just nobody went to this movie. Um, so, I mean, even Meatloaf and two of the writers went to, to see this movie in one of the small towns they were visiting or whatever, and they were the only ones in the room. So, after they saw this movie, they, they talked to the people and everything, and they figured... This is back when movies were just starting. And a few cities decided to, to try midnight showings of other movies. And because of word of mouth, they thought people were saying, why don't y'all try midnight showings of this? Maybe you'll get the weirdos or whatever. Sure enough, the midnight showings was how it got its praise. Um, it has, there's one town that shows it in in um, Germany every week of the year. Every week. Once or twice a week every year since it came out in 1975. And it has gotten a cult following and is just awesome. Um, there's a scene in the movie where they're having dinner with Rocky, uh, with um, well, with Rocky and Frankenfurter and all them, and something happens, and Brad Majors, Barry Boswick's character, uh, pounds his hand on the table. Well, when he does that, he accidentally, really does accidentally, pounds his hand on Susan Sarandon's hand, Janet, character named Janet. And her reaction is, of course, authentic. So... Later on, she gets revenge by, during the stage show, stepping on his foot. And his reaction 
she says it's accidental, but we know it's not accidental. Um, another thing, real quick, uh, there's more stuff to, to, to tell you, but Queen Diana, God rest her soul, Queen Diana and Prince uh, Richard was, Prince Charles, sorry, Prince Charles were real fans of the movie of Tim Curry, actually, uh, especially Princess Diana. So he was in town performing a play uh, called Love to Love, and she, Queen Diana, requested his uh, appearance after the show or whatever, and when he got there, he was in a line of other people, and uh, Prince Charles barely recognized him, which I don't see how that's possible, but hey, whatever. But when Queen Diana came up to him, she shook his hand, gave him this weird smirk of hers, just like he does, and looked him in the face and said that Rocky Horror had quite completed her education. <laughs> I'll let you figure that one out, what she meant by that. But um, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Barry Boswick says that this movie was filmed from November to December. And the whole time they were filming it, he was always wet. Not just because of the rain scene, but he was always wet. Because the castle they used was a real castle, real building. But it had a huge leak in it. And so they had one room in the, in the building uh, full of space heaters. And the crew, in between scenes, would take turns going into this room to warm up. Until the day the room caught fire. You heard me. All those space heaters somehow created a fire. And they were no longer able to use that room. So, there's more to come, my friends. So, this is only part two of part one, which was the first part. <laughs> so, I shall return. So, continue the time warp. And we'll do it again. Okay, so I've learned some interesting things about this movie, um, and I'm still not done. Let's see. When Tim Curry was originally playing the, the part of Frankenfurter um, during the play and the starting of the show, he originally gave uh, Frankenfurter a, a Russian accent, which makes sense with some of the other stuff I've learned. But, um, he decided, no, sorry, not Ger Russian, German. Gave him a German accent, my bad. But decided to change it when he heard a woman on the bus, um, speaking with a highly exaggerated English accent that reminded him of Queen Elizabeth II. <laughs> so he combined that with his mother's quote-unquote telephone voice for the voice 
of Frankenfurter. Um, his mother, being the hip lady that she was, his words, loved the movie and loved what he did with the character, with the voice. Um, Susan Sarandon is a trooper. She just, she is. Um, apparently, she was, the producers of it told her she was too much of a complaining woman and so to prove them wrong she uh she had seemed to during the after the pool scene the water must have been very cold it was already cold in there everyone was already wet like i said before um but after filming the pool scene she had caught um pneumonia and the directors uh has been known to say that she was shaking with fever during this this movie and she refused she should have seen some had like hospital hospital people around to keep an eye on her or whatever but she refused to stop working to stop filming um when he's making Franken when he's when Frankenfurter is making Rocky, uh, and it looks like when he's turning the color spigots on, it looks like it's random. Apparently, it's not. Um, there's someone off stage shouting off the colors of the order they want him to turn it. Um, they're like blue, green, red, purple, green, red, and everything. You know. And when they close, when they put a close up on him while he's turning the valves, and you have a split second to see the look of confusion on his face, that's because he's trying to find the colors the whole time. When you see his look, he's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, where is it? Where is it? That is because he's trying to find the colors that they're shouting out because they want it done a certain way, apparently. But, um, there's a lot of. Nazi and well not a lot but there are a few Nazi and World War uh, little trinkets in this movie apparently uh, when Rocky is brought to life and Magenta says a triumph of your will this is a subtle joke to a Nazi propaganda movie with the same name a triumph of your will um, she says this because of that, but also because Rocky is light blonde haired, very muscular, and possibly blue eyed. And that was the look the Nazis were looking for in their men. Um, I don't know how I would have, th I, I'm a big Steve, I used to be, a, I mean, I still am a big Steve Harvey, uh, Steve Martin fan. You know, The Jerk and Roxanne and The Three Amigos and some of that. Yeah, I love them. But, apparently Steve Martin originally tried out for the part of Brad Majors. I think he would have, my personal opinion, just knowing stuff of, of him, I think he would have made it more vaudevillian 
and and everything, he would have been the whole excuse me stuff. But I think the guy who played Brad Majors, I think he was the right person for it. I don't, I can't see anyone else doing it, even in the 2016, which I did not watch for that for lots of reasons. Um, Richard O'Brien, the director, creator, whatever was concerned that Meatloaf was unable to handle Hot Patootie, Bless My Soul. Um, now remember, this is before Meatloaf was Meatloaf, let alone was known. Heavily known, or whatever. So, when O'Brien handed him the music for it, he said, he told him, he says, it's okay to flub the lines, uh, a few lines. No one in the London cast has ever sung the whole thing correctly anyway. Okay. So Meatloaf looked at it and replied, what's the problem? Then he sang the whole song without skipping a beat or messing a line. That's how awesome meatloaf was you have a guy you have a theatrical english theatrical group of talented people i mean they were a big thing back then i don't know if they are now but this group he's talking about was a big thing when it came to putting on plays and theatricals and musics and stuff like that and they couldn't do sweet patootie hot patootie sorry and one try, and Meatloaf gets it 100%. That's some, him, so far, what I've read is that Meatloaf and Susan Sarandon are some tough, not-to-be-messed-with people. And that's just cool to me. So... Welcome back, my guys and gals. One of the most popular songs that is used to this day, every October, the Time War, which I have memories that are interesting of the Time War. Um, several years ago, I, I worked for this awesome company, and the manager... Of the of the company, uh, we were good friends, and we would we went and hanged out and everything. And he had to go grocery shopping, so I went with him one day. And this is of course during October. And the uh, over the loudspeaker, you would hear Halloween music. You know, one eye, one horn, flapper, people eater, uh, Elvira, all kinds of stuff. Well, my boss. This is one of the reasons why I loved my boss. He didn't give a rat's rear end of what people thought or said about him. So when it came time, so when, when we were shopping and everything else, the time warp came on the, on the loudspeaker of the grocery store. This dude stopped what he was doing, pushed the buggy out of the way, and in the middle of the aisle did the time warp. And sang along with it. Not like, yes, do the time warp again. No. 
Let's do the time warp again out loud. He did not give a rear end about it. Or who heard him? Co-workers of the, re of the grocery store knew him and knew what they were in for. So they were just like, oh, good Lord. Hey, how you doing? Good work. And they would come and watch him do the time warp and just watch him shop because they just knew he was a nut bar. But the time warp was originally written for the stage because uh, it was a play before it was a movie. And the stage, ver it was a fill up time. The time warp was written to fill up time on of the play. The song originally took 40 minutes long. They somehow were able to cut 40 minutes into four, if not less. But the song is 40 minutes freaking long if they were to do it on stage originally. Um, apparently, Susan Sarandon had done plays before movies before this. I did not know that. Um, this is back in 1975, I think is what I said. Um, and in movies she's done in the past, apparently she would do nude scenes. Because the directors of this movie, of Rocky Horror, a uh, asked her if she would perform the song Touch It, Touch It, Touch Me. Uh, completely nude because uh, of her background, I guess. And she strongly refused that she would not do that song nude. So, that's interesting. Um, I don't know who the guy is. I should probably know who the guy was that played um, the criminologist in the movie. A lot of people have played him on stage nowadays. Famous actors, even Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV show has done him on stage, done the character. Um, Tony, uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s brother in the Sherlock Holmes movies, he's been the criminologist. And a lot of other people. But for the movie, and this would have been so awesome, especially for this movie, let alone who it is. Oh my God, I would have... Ah! The master of nightmares. The master of the macabre of his days. Mr. Vincent Price. Now you would know Vincent Price probably from Scooby-Doo and the 13th Ghosts. Or Edward Scissorhands, his creator. Uh, a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, some of the, He was a guest host on the original Muppet Show one time. But... Vincent Price was offered the part of the criminologist, the guy that's like Brad Mages and his wife to be, you know, that guy with all the books around him. Um, was that offered the part? And he turned it down. And it was, he turned it down not for 
not because he didn't want to do it. He really wanted to do it. He's seen the play uh, performed in uh, London, and he loved it, and he wanted that part. But he had to turn it down because of scheduling with another project he was doing. And speaking of interesting people playing great parts, we've talked about Steve Martin playing Brad Majors, and now we've talked about Vincent Price playing the criminologist. This person, I like his music. I've always liked his music. I just don't know if he would do it justice as Tim Curry did because it was his part originally. He was the original Frankenfurter when it was done on stage. Um, but Mick... Jagger. You heard me correctly. You're not losing your hearing or going crazy. You heard me correctly. Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger wanted to play Frankenfurter in the movie version. I'm not cringing. I mean, I am cringing, but not in disgust. I'm just cringing like... I can just see him in the the creation of him of of Rocky st- doing that song strutting around like a peacock with his arms like he does and everything. So I I just don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh maybe in another universe he is playing it, but I don't know. But um but yeah. Oh, another thing. The red patch that Frankenfurter wears on his uh on his scrubs, his doctor scrubs when he's creating Frank uh when he's creating Rocky, that is also another Nazi nod. Cause they had Jews wearing that. Wearing something like that. And that was a nod towards that. So like I said. There's a lot. There's quite a few things in here. Um, I'm listening to the movie. While I'm writing all this stuff down. Um, I'm going to go back. And try to find the actual easter eggs. Because I've heard there's some. Uh, around the statues. When. Uh, uh, Meatloaf is riding his motorcycle. And everything. But I'm just so involved in the movie and this information there's like 140 things now of course like i've said before i'm not going to tell every 140 things that i found uh but the things that i find very interesting i i will share um oh here's one the the st- I think it was the hairstylist or or something like that with for for David Bowie back then. He's the one who did and came up with everyone's makeup, the look of, of them, their makeup in the movie. Especially Frankenfurter. He created Frankenfurter's makeup. The way he should look and everything. 
So I thought that was pretty cool. We got David Bowie's hairstylist or whatever. We got Steve Martin wanting to uh, wanting to play. Brad Majors. We have Mick Jagger wanting to play Frankenfurter. And we have Vincent Price who wanted to play the criminologist. I mean, this is this is such awesome stuff. It's like it's kind of like when I did the finding this kind of stuff is like finding the information I found on uh, the Holy Grail, Pink Floyd, and all them loving it where they would stop recording and go watch Monty Python if it was on while they were film while they were recording. That's just you know, and they the right part of their just go back and listen to that, to that podcast if you haven't heard it. There's one about Monty Python. There's one on Galaxy Quest. or several on Power Rangers, the original. Not I haven't done any on the other stuff. But yeah, that's why I love doing this podcast is it gives me a good reason to go back and look all this stuff up and everything. And um, Tim Curry hated wearing those heels. He hated wearing those heels, but he enjoyed doing the part. But anyway, enjoy. Okay, so here's some more information for you. It's really intriguing, or at least to me. The song I can was inspired by Charles Atlas's muscle ads. Now, for those of you who always wonder who in the world is Charles Atlas, that even Frankenfurter mentions, he has Charles Atlas's seal of approval. Charles Atlas was back in that day was. The Olympic uh, weightlifting champion. It was a big freaking deal. This dude was massive and strong as all get out. Arnold Schwarzenegger has nothing against him. On him. Um, he lived in a town called Tacoa, Georgia. Yeah. And the reason why I know this is I've seen his house. Um, I have family up there. And in Tacoa, Georgia, his house has a statue. Well, actually, it's just a concrete pillar with his, with this, with a small engraving of him holding up his weights over his head, and it has engravings of his uh, in memory of him. Not only that, but he is such a big deal in this town that about. 10 years ago they cleaned up this little area which was supposedly a park it was just a cleared area with a a couple benches now back 10 years ago somewhere around there they cleared it out took all the plants all that out and put this humongo fountain in its place and in the middle of the fountain is a bronze black statue of Charles Atlas holding his weights over his head and it's a beautiful place it's a beautiful little park it's got benches and plant life and everything else and they do special events there for Christmas and Easter and everything else like that it's really cool 
I've taken pictures there several times. Uh, when my nephews were real young, I took pictures of them there enjoying the water and, you know, just being little kids. So, but yeah, it, that's who Charles Atlas is. Um, for years, for a long freaking time, he held the record uh, for lifting, weightlifting in the Olympics. But anyway, um, he he did ads for his weightlifting and whatever, and in his ads, he would say this. They were running from the 40s to the 50s. Uh, with the slogan, in just seven days, I can make you a man. And, um, so, yeah. And in the end of his ads, he on the back of the ad, it would have a thing on there that said, um, hold on, what was it? Sorry. I had it and then I lost it. Don't dream it, be it. That's where that came from. Um, on the stage performance, the doctor, the guy in the wheelchair, and Eddie were performed by the same person. Um, Meatloaf was very disappointed that he could not do both. He was not going to be able to play both. He was going to all play Eddie, and someone else was going to play the doctor. To the day he died... He thought that they made a mistake not letting him play both. Because playing the same guy playing both, the doctor and Eddie, made it a lot more easier for people to believe that they were related. And he was looking forward to playing that part. But, you know, whatever. Um, but he had no grudges against the person playing it or the company. He thought the dude did a really good job on... on playing the doctor um the director of it of this movie the original movie um back in 2016 let it slip on an interview on a talk show i think that susan saran during the making of this movie the susan saran and Ann barry boswick were dating while filming it in real life um the motorcycle scene where he comes out where Milo comes out for the very first time. That that was just a train wreck just happening because it was full of accidents filming it. Um, the coming down the ramp, the the stunt man ran off stage and hit ran into people. Uh, one time the motorcycle fell off the edge of the ramp that goes really high up. And it happened to land sideways and landing on the stuntman. The motorcycle did. Um, Meatloaf ran over to to him and checked on him. And he wasn't moving. His eyes were closed and everything else. And at first he thought he killed him. But he, the guy finally opened his eyes and started moving around and got up. Said he was fine. It's just a stuntman's trick. To when he does an accident like that, to just lay there and figure out if everything's okay with himself. Uh, he didn't mean to scare people. 
Um, but <laughs> when Meatloaf is seen riding the motorcycle, he's on a wheelchair. He has a he's riding a wheelchair that's rigged with a pair of motorcycle handlebars and a windshield. Um, but even with that simple rig, it still crashed. Um, the wheelchair crashed and broke the camera and the windshield. The stuntman tried to catch catch the wheelchair, but the ramp had other plans apparently, and caught the stuntman's leg and caused a serious fracture. And of course, Meatloaf got a deep cut on his head. Um, in the very beginning of the movie, when he first when they first enter. Frankenstein's place. They, uh, Riff Raff opens the thing and opens a clock and it has a skeleton in it. That's a real freaking skeleton. Not store bought, whatever. It's a real freaking skeleton. And it came in and with the clock. It was donated to them by some lady. And the funny thing is, Later on, they auctioned off things of the movie, which also was the skeleton clock with the skeleton, and it went for thirty-five thousand uh, pounds English money. Uh, I'll come back to that later on and look up how much that was in American money because I don't know, and how much that would be today. Uh, but yeah, that's just weird. That's like He-Man. The If you ever watch a show called The Toys Who Made Us, um, watch the episode about He-Man. And it says that the guy who created He-Man and stuff like that came up with Skeletor because the um, when he came up with Skeletor was from when he was a child. When he was really, really young, he went to a fair, and they had, you know, those so-called haunted houses or whatever, and, um, there's a, somewhere in there, a skeleton falls to him, falls in front of him, and scares the bejeebus out of him. Um, when he runs out and tells his parents there's a skeleton in this, I mean, he's screaming this. The people of, that are watching over this ride and part of the circus are like, there's no skeletons in this. So they check it out. Sure enough, there's a skeleton in it. They take it to the police. Everything else. They check it out. It's a real person! It's a skeleton of a real freaking person. They don't know where it came from, how it got there, or anything else. It's just there. But it's of a real person. And from this day forward, from that point forward, it scarred him. So when he created He-Man, he brought that into the story as Skeletor. But yeah, it's one of those things, you know, real skeleton found in weird places and whatever. Um, 
Susan Sarandon, for the longest time, would not talk about this movie. She hated talking about this movie. Mostly because she was upset, which I, I totally get. I do. She was totally upset that none, none of the actors, nobody, her, Barry Boswick, Tim Curry, nobody, nobody got royalties from the sales of this movie being on, when it came onto DVD. Nobody got anything. Um, this movie had five weeks. They, the, now, they had a choice. The director of this, the company, 20th Century Fox, gave them the choice that they will throw more money at this movie. They will give you a longer time period to make this movie and everything else. But you have to use people that people know in this movie. They wanted people like, like I said, they wanted like Mick Jagger, David Bowie, and other actors that were well-known and highbrow and get people in the seats. Um, and he refused. He turned it down. Because he felt, the director felt, the creator of this thing, felt that it was the nobodies that made the people come see the movie. Plus the fact that he did his best to get major as many people that have done the play to do the movie because they would only have five weeks to put this on okay they only had five weeks to put this movie on put it together and they already knew how to do the characters they knew where to go they knew how to play it they knew what was going to happen everything else like that so it was more of a loyalty thing to the cast and everyone else and he just flat refused which I'm kind of glad I am glad because I don't I st- like I said I can't see Steve Martin or Barry Boswick uh, not Barry Boswick I'm sorry Barry Boswick did a great job don't, I didn't mean that I meant that Mick Jagger and all the ones they were thinking of having them play them parts play them I, don't, I, I can't see it I think it would have been a joke um, but yeah, they had five movies to get this five weeks to make this movie done since they turned down the money and everything else. Um, here's an interesting little thing, and I think this is where I'll stop for now because there's, like I said, there's too much information, and I'll come back, like I said, about the money, the poundage, and the um, where to find the eggs or whatever, but um. When the doctor comes pulled through the triple magnetic magnet through the house or whatever and comes busting through that tile wall, that was a last minute thing. That was a last minute decision. Because apparently they didn't realize this till later, but the set designers somehow forgot to put a door in that scene on that set there were no doors whatsoever so they figured hey let's just pull him through the wall (laughs) so I mean it worked for how you know that whole pulling him up the stairs down the aisle around circling the girls and everything else shows how much powerful that magnet was from across the freaking room building 
but pulling him through a wall, and that look on his face is deliberate. I mean, it, it, it wasn't planned. He just, like, came through the wall and, okay, what the hell? Uh, so, this movie, y'all have got to watch this movie. If you haven't ever seen it, uh, Tim Curry also thought uh, this was a messed up movie to begin with, but he also thought after a while, he figured this is a teenager's rite of passage because of the sexual orientation, I'm guessing, and and everything else, and singing like a lady, and, you know, whatever, and it, he thinks if you haven't seen this movie, like, I've been in theater, local community theater, since I was nine years old, I am way over nine years old now, and we did a play, I did a play with some friends of mine, and we had this kid that I've, I've known for a little while. And somehow, this movie was brought up. And the kid, teenager, was like, what's Rocky Horror? Now, I have friends that are way more horror fa- Rocky Horror fans than I am. And way more theatrical fans than I am. When this kid, who's done plays before, with us, says... He's never heard of Rocky Horror. We we just froze. We were just like, oh, oh. <laughs> how is this possible? What is wrong with you? Uh, he just he's never heard of it. He's never heard the songs before. Nothing. So my theater friends sat him down. It educated this poor boy on the movie, let alone the music. Before this play was over. Now here we do plays. It takes about two to three months. Depending on if it's a musical or whatever. Not months, weeks, sorry. Two or three weeks. Within a month or two, yeah. Um, so yeah. It was just... By the time this play was over, they were either, he knew about it enough, or they were going to make him sit down and watch it at the cast party. But, yeah. This is how my people are, my friends are, when it comes to certain stuff. Uh, I have two of my theater friends who live in southern Florida and here in south Georgia. And they flew days, days, literally days before the first outbreak lockdown of the world of COVID. They flew off to New York to see the Beetlejuice Broadway show. They stayed there for days, right? They came back the day before New York locked down. They would have been stuck there for months, and I don't know how they would have survived. I mean, they would have done something, I'm sure, but... Yeah. These are hard... My friends are hard theater fun fans. Yeah. So, anyway, I'll get back with y'all on the information, and... Yeah.
Okay, so I looked it up, and 35,000 pounds, money-wise, in America money, would have been 42,900 and $27.47. Um... Now, now today, that would have cost them, that would have been $188,082.06. That is an increase over 47 years of $153,082. $82.06 over a 47-year span. Dang. That's all I can say about that. But this movie is one of my favorites. I can never get enough of it. I can never get en- almost never can get enough of the music of any version, any live show, any stage performance, any... I'm just not sure about the 19... 19- 2016 version. The 2016 version, I'm not real sure about. But anyway, love watching this movie and talking about it and everything else. So I hope y'all answer the question I posted uh, about what to talk about next. And I will talk to y'all soon. I hope. So let your freak flag fly. Let the show begin. And enjoy the science fiction of life. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, and good night, my friends. To my Potterheads, my Power Ranger fanatics, my Doctor Strange weirdos, and my Marvel, my mighty Marvel. lovers today i just want to put out a reminder that on the podcast part is uh says about an egg hunt the name of it has egg hunt in it that one has a quest a q and a has a question for you if you would go back to that one and answer the question it, the question is, what would you like me to talk about? I have some ideas, but I want to know what y'all want me to talk about. What is it? What movie? What TV show? What cartoon? What character? What uh, nerd subject? Cosplay? Whatever y'all would like me to talk about. What genre of movie? What movie in particular? What, you know, whatever. Um, but I want to hear from y'all. So let me know what y'all think. And what y'all would like to hear. And I'm hoping y'all having a great summer of 2022. Just a few more days before our school lets out here in my in South Georgia. And I appreciate y'all listening and for your dedication. Y'all have a good one. Let your freak flag fly. And why is a raven like a writing desk? <laughs>